Alright, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> We're taking a uh, textual detour, but not a topical detour this morning from what we've been looking at in the book of Acts. <clears throat> so Matthew chapter 13, I want to read for you verses 44 through 46. The title of my sermon this morning is, By the Pearl, By the Pearl. Matthew 13 and verse 44. The Bible says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had. And he bought it. Last year, uh, it's about 13 months ago, my wife and I purchased a used Subaru Forester. Has had 100,000 miles on it when we bought it. Relatively new for us. Have you ever noticed this? After you buy a car and you sign the title and you've written the check and you've registered it, that all the noises it makes get louder? Ever notice that? Especially with used cars? Like, I didn't hear that before. What is that? I'll tell you, super Foresters are noisy cars. And it caused me a lot of concern and worry. What do you call that feeling? That, you know, it comes over you like a wave and you're like, oh no. What do you call that? Buyer's remorse, okay? It is, here's what it is. I'll give you the, looked it up online for you so you have a good definition. It is the sense of regret, and I put in parentheses, loss of joy, frequently associated with the purchase of an expensive item. And men, if you're married, here's the other side. That feeling of remorse is typically amplified by your wise wife who is saying, I told you not to buy that car or, you know what I'm saying, right? It's like, you're feeling bad enough and then she reminds you that she was wiser than you and you foolishly and stupidly ignored her. With technology purchases, uh, Rocco works at the Apple store, okay? With technology purchases, people have buyer's remorse. It's usually based upon the fact that new technology was introduced about two days after they bought their new iPad or iPhone. Okay, and they get this sense of an expensive purchase, it's already been severely devalued, and there's a sense of regret at the depreciation that they're experiencing what, what causes it? Okay, what causes us to feel that? Ugh. And most of you have probably at some time in your life made a decision, thought back on the decision and said, what was I thinking? And men, why didn't I listen to my wife? What causes it? Fear of making a wrong choice, of looking bad, guilt over extravagance, or a suspicion about having been overly influenced by the seller. 
Okay, all those thoughts, they rage through your mind. You start reprocessing back through, rethinking the conversations they had, and you get this sick feeling in your stomach. The text that we're looking at this morning tells us how to avoid that sense of remorse and regret that many of us feel truthfully in many areas of our life. A lot of people experience relational remorse or entertainment remorse. Okay, or food-related remorse. Okay, we, we go through it, we dive into things, and then after we're in it for a while, we're thinking, what in the world was I thinking when I dove into this? And regret becomes a predominant feeling that we experience in our lives. So the question we must then ask, if that is such a dominant experience or a common experience in the life of believers, how do I, how do I avoid regret in the long run? I mean, I realize this. All of us are going to make mistakes along the way. We're going to buy the wrong car. Okay, we're going to do stupid things like that. We're going to be involved in relationships we shouldn't be involved in. We're going to choose things that we shouldn't choose. We're going to have that. But how do we, in the grand scheme of the big picture of our lives, how do we end up without regret, without remorse, and with a joy that effervesces from our lives? Because that indeed is what Paul calls us to in the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. He has an effervescing joy while he's sitting in prison. No regret, no remorse. And you have to say to yourself, how do you get to that place? And does the Bible tell us how we can get there? And I believe the answer, based on these three very simple verses, is yes. These three verses contain two parables. Okay, if you're not familiar with what a parable is, here's a simple way to remember it. Okay, parable is an earthly story that clarifies or brings into focus heavenly truth. Okay, it's, for me, it's like glasses sitting under that chair over there. When I put those glasses on, everything gets clearer in terms of text in front of me. Okay, parables are the way that God gives you a clearer vision by the indwelling spirit. He illuminates truth through stories that Jesus told. As you read through the Gospels, you'll find that for Jesus, parables were the preferred mode of communication. What are they? They're stories that he creates on the fly, comes to mind heavenly mind perfect stories okay and he creates a story to illustrate something for the disciples that will capture their attention and clearly communicate to them and apply to their lives a truth that will affect their lives forever the parables in matthew 13 every one of them starts out with this kind of an idea okay and let's look at, at, at verse 44 for the sake of it the kingdom of heaven is like verse 45 again the kingdom of heaven is like it's comparable or comparative to this or that story. So here we find two stories. One is agriculturally related to someone like a farmer or a shepherd. The other one is a merchant. He is a, a person who, who uh, set, buys and sells gems, things of great and incredible value. Okay, so two illustrations of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, when I say kingdom of heaven, Okay, most of you are probably scratching around in your mind saying, what does God mean in these parables when he talks about the kingdom of heaven? And I think you end up with two basic options. Okay, a kingdom is often known as a geographic domain or area. Okay, you look on a map and you say, this is the kingdom of Persia, kingdom of Babylon, kingdom of Egypt. Okay, we don't use the word kingdom today. We call it the nation. 
Okay? So it could be talking about a time geographically when God established His, His rule in the new heaven and new earth. Okay, that's a future picture that Carmel beautifully read for us of the kingdom of God. When Christ comes, this is what it's going to be like. Okay? <clears throat> Second aspect of a kingdom. It involves the issue of a ruling and reigning, of governance, of control. Jesus could say this to the disciples and to the Pharisees that he's talking to. He can say, the kingdom of God that they thought of as out there is in your midst. It's right here. And what was he talking about when he said that? You know what he was saying? The king of the kingdom is exercising his authority and influence here and now. So when Jesus was present, what was present? The kingdom of God. Okay? Which means what? That when Jesus left, that aspect of the kingdom did what? It went with him at some level, but then with the coming of the Spirit in Acts 1, what happened? The kingdom of God is now being executed, or if you will, worked out through who? Through believers that are indwelt with the personal presence of Christ by the work of the Spirit. Okay? So now he gives us two parables that, that talk about this issue, I believe, not of the geographical kingdom, even though that's part of the bigger picture of the kingdom. Okay, the half of the kingdom concept we're going to look at this morning is the rule and reign of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is exalted to His right hand, ruling and reigning. Okay? So that's the, the idea of the kingdom of God is the rightful rule of Christ in every aspect of every believer's life. Okay, that's the... I think the theme, if you will, of these parables. One writer put it this way. He said it is the rightful rule of God in our lives. This reign is specifically His saving or redeeming reign. The kingdom is being manifested in power when demons and unbelief and unrighteousness are being defeated and salvation, righteousness and peace and joy are happening. Why? He is invading people's lives, setting them free from sin, from the kingdom of darkness. And what is He doing? He's bringing them into the kingdom of His dear Son. Okay? And so, when you talk about in this text, okay, the treasure that's found and the pearl that's purchased. Okay? When you talk about those, th those are pictures of somebody laying hold of the kingdom reign of Christ and making it a personal reality in their lives. Okay, that's the picture of the kingdom of God is like this or that. It is the reign of God exercised in the lives of people who have been delivered from sin and filled with the Spirit of God to live a different kind of life. Okay, so that's the, that's the background here. Two parables about the kingdom, their theme, the kingdom of God. And in chapter 13, if you read through it, you'll find seven parables that help you to understand what the reign of Jesus Christ is like in our day. Okay, what does his authority exercised look like in our day? Two parables, let's work our way through them. First, the agricultural worker. We don't know exactly what's going on here, except that the man is walking around in a field and suddenly he finds a treasure. We don't know if he's farming, working the field, and all of a sudden as he's farming, hoeing the ground, he hits a hollow spot and he starts to dig back. And what does he find? He finds a treasure box. Strange concept, right? I haven't found any treasure boxes in my yard lately. I've done a lot of digging in my yard. I haven't found any treasure boxes. So what's up with this? 
Okay, in the ancient world, what didn't they have that we have all over the place? Unity and PNC and what do we have? Banks, okay? So if you want to protect your money, what do you do? Take your money to the bank and you think it's safe. I'll just leave that right there, okay? I am not convinced that it's safe. So what did people do in the ancient world? Well, in a world where there were wars and raiders coming in, not the raider family, but raiders, people that run over the land and steal things. Is that what you guys got your name? Blake? You need to look into that. Change your name, Blake. No. My daughter would have to change her name. We're not doing that, okay? All right, so th- that would happen. So what would you do? Well, if people are going to come in and pillage your house, tear it down, what would you do? To protect your treasure, you would go out in the field, dig a hole, and bury it, and you would count off your steps. And if you died before you told someone where it was because you were suspicious about the integrity of your family, what would happen? It'd be lost. And then one day, this guy's walking through the field, digging or just walking along with the staff, and all of a sudden, thud. And what does he do? He starts digging. What does he find? He finds a treasure box. What does he do? He covers it back up. Notice what the text says. It says, when a man found it, And he finds it, in this case, accidentally. He's not out there looking for treasure boxes. Okay? He doesn't have his his GPS and he's not doing that. What's that game called that people do where you go and find treasures? Geocaching. Okay? He's not geocaching. Okay? He's just walking. Thud. Whoa. Bury. What is it? He walks away delighted. Why? He knows where treasure is. And then he goes on and lives the rest of his life like normal. And forgets about it. Is that what happens? No. Okay. Well, he is like flipped out. He's like on a very high joy ride. And what does he do? What becomes the goal of his life? I want that treasure. And I don't care what it cost me. So what does he do? In his... You just got to love this statement. He found it, hit it again. Then in his joy, what does he do? He goes and he sells how much? Everything. He has a complete yard sale in his life. Sells everything. Puts free sign. Just everything. And then what does he do? He goes and he buys that field. Now here's what's fascinating about the text. Okay? These, these thoughts of going, selling, buying are all in the present tense. His life becomes obsessed with going, selling, and buying that field. Okay, now, first thought that's coming to a lot of your minds is this, because you're very just in your thinking. You're thinking, is this ethical? He's going to buy the field and not tell the owner of the field that there's a treasure in it? Okay, here's a key truth in interpreting parables. Okay, parables are given typically to emphasize and to focus on one thought. Okay, this parable is not about the ethics of finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Okay, it's not, that's not the message translation or paraphrase of this verse. Okay, this verse has nothing to do with the ethics of what's happening. It's just simply saying what? This guy was walking, hit something, dug it up, buried it, sold everything he had because this was so valuable that he sends, has a yard sale on his life and he goes to the man who owns the field and says, boom. That's what I give you for everything. Okay, what is that? It's 
can I be honest with you? It's probably on the surface really stupid. And then really smart. Why? He probably overpaid for the field. What? Going in his joy, he's selling in his joy, he's buying. What is he? He is completely irrational, but he will have no buyer's regret. Why? Because what he is buying is worth everything to him. It is worth a complete yard sale in his life so that he can have that treasure. Jesus says this to us. He says, that's what the kingdom of God is like. It is so valuable and so precious that it should cause everything in your life to become expendable so that you can live in obedience under the rightful, joyful rule of Jesus. That's the point of the story. That when you hear about Jesus and you understand Jesus, you are willing to give up anything in your life so that you might have Him. It's not about buying salvation. It's about an unbelievable, overwhelming, life-altering love for Christ. An affection. A John Piper used this word. He talks about a treasuring of Christ. A, a love. A desire for Christ. That it, it transforms your life. Because you realize that compared to everything else that this world has to offer, there is nothing that compares to the glory and wonder of Jesus. So this find forces him to make a decision. Okay, it, it is that altering for him. He, he does, I, I was joking. So he buried it, he walked away, never thought about it again because it's not his field. What does he do? It forces him to think, how, do I, how does that become mine? Forget the ethics of it. Okay, it's just pure pragmatism is what's here. How does that treasure become mine? I know what it'll do. I'm not going to tell anybody and I'm going to go buy that field. I don't care how much the guy wants for it. I'm buying it. And when I get the field, what do I get? I get the treasure. Okay, and when you come to faith in Christ, what do you get? You get more than you can imagine. More in terms of joy, more in terms of grace, more in terms of forgiveness and freedom from sin, more than you could possibly imagine the day you trusted Christ. You did not comprehend what was in the treasure box, what was in the middle of the field. Those are things that God over time unfolds for us. What's the point of the story? An encounter with Christ and His rule and reign in your life should be so overwhelming that I am willing to expend myself and deliver myself from anything in order to have Christ. Okay, and what does it mean? It means I will not tolerate things in my life that compete for affection that belongs to Jesus. Okay, let that truth settle in. Does your affection for Christ... Does your love for Christ alter your life and demand of you on a daily basis certain choices so that He can be first and so that you can have a joy that will be for His glory? Because when people say, what's up with you? The answer should be, it's Jesus. I bought the field. And when I bought the field at great personal price, I got the treasure. And that treasure is the joy, unbounded joy, of knowing Jesus. He had a joyful determination to own that treasure in spite of what it would cost. And as a result, he gave to God glad sacrifice for the recognition, for the acknowledgement that you are king of my life. And though I am not yet in the kingdom geographically, as his child, I am in the kingdom. Folks, this is the amazing part of Christian living. 
at your new birth, you become a child of God's. You become a child of the King. And all of the treasures of the kingdom are yours in Christ. And in that realm, He calls you His brother. Hebrews says you are joint heirs with Christ. Now here's what happens. When I remember that, I live a full-on Christian life. And when I forget that, I trade for lesser treasures. That's what happens in my life. When I treasure Christ and love Christ and value Christ, it changes me and brings an inexplicable and deep joy. Second story. A trader in gems. A gemologist. Just thought of the word. Couldn't remember it when I was typing my notes up. What is he doing? Okay, there's a difference here. The first guy is just passively going through a field, thud, treasure. Going, selling, buying. Okay, second story. A man who collects gems, and he's on a... He, pearls are hot right now. Okay? So what does he do? He goes on a journey. That's what they did in the ancient world. Go find that unbelievable pearl or pearls. What's the text say? He went on a journey to find pearls, plural. But then what's the text say? Then he found the one. Okay? You're gonna hate, if you like Lord of the Rings, you're going to hate me for saying this. He found the pearl to end all pearls. Okay? He found the pearl that caused all others to become what? Utterly meaningless. Now, Rocco, I don't want to ruin your engagement. And Rachel, I don't want to ruin your ring. But your ring ruined my wife's ring. You know what this is? If I was technologically savvy, where would this picture be, Don? Up on the wall, right? I'm not. So here it is. Do you know what this is? This is the B-A-U-E, I think it is. The B-E-A-U. Is that bow? Okay. It's the bow Sansi. It is 34.8 carats. Rachel, in case you're wondering, your ring is not 34.8 carats. Okay. It's as big as the digit of your thumb. It was formed 400 years ago in terms of the chiseling of it and the making of it. It was sold at Sotheby's auction with an estimated value of between 2 and $4 million last week. It sold for $9.8 million. Okay? I can guarantee you something. The guy that bought that diamond did not sell everything to buy it. You know why? It's not worth everything. It's not. I saw some of the other stories on the internet where there were diamonds that have sold for over a hundred million dollars. It's still not worth everything. But when this guy finds this pearl, what happens? He found the one, and he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought that pearl. It completely, that find completely altered this man's existence. He sold all his other pearls to buy one. He sold all his possessions to buy one thing, 
Now, what's the picture? Is it saying that it's wise when you find a pearl so precious that you sell your house, your cars, your kids, your wife, and you buy the pearl? Okay, no. It would say, that would be stupid. Because all you would have left is a pearl. Now what are you going to do? Okay, you would just feel like, it doesn't make sense. So what's the point of the story? The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl that is so valuable that it would cost someone to yard sale everything in order to have that. Okay, that, that's the point. Finding the power of God revealed through the person of Christ in His kingdom ruling power that delivers you from the consequences of your sin by His death on the cross and from the effects of sin in your life is so precious that when you hear about it, you should fly to Jesus. You should run to Him and say, change my life. This find forces him into a decision that leads to a transformation of how he sees his life. Now, I think I can safely say to Rocco this morning that you did not have buyer's remorse when you bought that ring for Rachel. Correct? You had buyer's joy, and it was burning a hole in your pocket because it wanted to come out. Okay, it wanted to be revealed. It wanted to be seen, and you... You knew how she would respond. And so you went and you bought that in great joy. No remorse. Why? Because this goes to my doll. And I can't wait to see her reaction to this. Difference between the two parables. One is an active search. One is a passive finding. Because that's the two ways that people find the kingdom of God. Everybody knows they have needs. Everybody knows what it is to have a round hole in your heart and trying to stick a square peg into it. Everyone knows what it is to have those voids in your life where there is a lack of contentment, a lack of satisfaction, and you're looking for the thing, the hobby, the purchase, the pursuit, the relationship that will finally make your life complete. The answer is none of those things. In fact, it's interesting, isn't it? That many of the things that I just mentioned are the cause for what? Great sorrow in many lives. Which tells you what? Those things are not, they're not the pearl of great price. They're not the thing that should cause you, cause you to yard sale everything else to have it. Do you see? One search is passive. There's a, there's a, a need, but he doesn't know it. There's a need for something marvelous and wonderful in his life. And when he finds it, nobody has to say to him, here's what you should do. Bury it, go sell everything you have, and come and buy it. It is a spontaneous, in his joy. No one explained it to him. He just knew that when I have that, life will be good. That's what he knew. So everything bought it. With the pearl, you find a man who is actively seeking. Right? He's altered his life to find the pearls of great price. And then he finds the one to end all pearls. And he does everything he can to have it. It transforms his life. And so it is in our relationship with Christ. Yesterday, I was at a local store buying two gallons of paint for the painting project today, which if you want to go see us after church, meet us at Subway, and we're going to the resource center to do some painting this afternoon. In the store, I was buying paint, and... I got in a conversation with a young man 
who's the manager of the store. And I don't know how sometimes these things happen, but it just came up. Like the gospel came up. I think I asked him if he attended church. Just, I just try to find different ways to, you know, depending on the person I'm talking to, sometimes I'll ask that question, do you go to church anywhere? He's like, I don't go to church, and I do not plan in the future to go to church. I said, ask me what I do for a living. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do that. I said, well, tell me about that. I'm like, wow, that was strong. Got talking a little bit. He's a seeker. He says, well, I'm an agnostic. Do you believe in God? Yep. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yep. I said, you're not an agnostic. You're misdiagnosed. Okay. You have things in your life that irritate you about Jesus. And what you haven't realized is that you're a rebel against God's higher law. He looked at me and he said, I've never heard that before. I said, yeah, we always use the word sin, but what is it? It's rebellion. You're declaring your own path. You're saying God's not good enough for you, but you're seeking. End of the conversation was this. It's kind of cool. He gave me the two gallons of paint for free. Okay? That was based on my looks. <laughs> I was kidding. I've not, never gotten anything for my looks but weird stares. Okay? That's God's truth on that. On a Bible, I will say that. I said to him, I said, uh, would you be willing to go to breakfast? He said, yeah. So next Thursday morning at 9 o'clock, I'm going to meet him at Panera Bread. Hooked him in with a free breakfast. No. And then he rings me out. I'm getting ready to walk out. And he says, hey, uh, what are we going to talk about? I said, I want to tell you the Bible storyline. That's all. And what am I going to do? I'm going to go through the two ways to live presentation. If you don't know it, go online. Look up two ways to live. Learn the Bible story. I said, I'm not going to. He said, I hate religion. I said, you know what's funny? So do I. He said, you do? I said, yeah, I hate religion. I hate the thought that you can earn your way to God by what you do. I hate that. That is from the devil. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves you. Came and died on the cross to bear the sin and the wrath of God that you deserve so that he could raise from the dead and set you free from the curse you deserve. So next Thursday morning you can pray. Now, why do I say this? He was, I think, more in the category of the guy searching for pearls. He's on the hunt. Sometimes you come across a conversation with someone and all of a sudden it pops up. It, it's on the table. And if you're seeking to walk sensitively to the Lord, it's an opportunity to talk about the reign of Jesus and how Jesus can deliver someone from sin. That's what the kingdom of God does. It's about deliverance. It's about freedom through the work of Christ. That's what the kingdom of God is. And when you realize that you're trapped in sin, the pearl becomes very clear. When you realize you're trapped in sin and death, what happens? The treasure in the field becomes very attractive. It is life-altering and it leads you to what? A point of decision and transformation. I want the treasure. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. If you've never trusted Christ, buy the pearl. Buy it. What if it costs me a lot? Oh, it will. It'll cost you a whole lot. Here's what Jesus said. Because I don't want to sugarcoat it. Here's what Jesus said. He said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. Meaning, he does not tolerate competitors. None. There is no co-reign in the life of a Christian. 
He comes to change your life. And that's the point of the stories, isn't it? The pearl found is life-altering. It demands everything. And it deserves everything. The field and the treasure deserves everything. In his exuberant joy, what does he do? He goes and he goes completely bankrupt, has cash, purchases a field. And everybody's like, you are stupid. Why did you pay that much for the field? Can't say. I can't say. So what happens if you buy the pearl? If today you say, you know what, I'm going to go out of here more fully devoted to the rule and reign of Christ in my life. I'm going to buy the pearl. I'm going to buy the field. What will happen? Here's the first thing that will happen. If you become radical, which is I believe what these parables call for, they don't call for a modest, wise, well-thought-out approach to coming to Jesus. They do not leave room for such an approach. They call for full surrender which most of us sang this morning. Okay, the question is, is that real? Am I fully surrendered? Am I all in? If I am, and this is a conviction I have, if you are all in for Christ, you will, in your devotion to Jesus, experience what it is to be misunderstood. Okay, you can mark this down. There are going to be people who question your intellectual stability if you commit fully to Jesus. Why? You're overpaying for the field. You're spending too much for the pearl, and that's all you got. How do you eat a pearl? One layer at a time. Right? You, it doesn't make sense that you would sell everything and not leave uh, you know, a little bit of extra, a reserve. That's wise. That's not how you come to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you see yourself as a broken sinner in need of deliverance from the King of Kings. And you go all in. And when you go all in with Christ, what happens? You will have no regret. Okay, the key to these stories is complete sacrifice with no remorse. No regret, no sorrow, only an abundance of in His joy. Secondly, it will cost you everything. Thirdly, because there's no Christ following without cost counting. Okay? You can't follow Jesus without paying a price. It's why most of us are stuck in a mediocre, weak, anemic Christian experience. Because we will not pay a price. We don't want to be misunderstood. We want to be respected. And thought of as wise. Okay, you cannot seek the world's approval and God's approval simultaneously. You can't serve two masters. Jesus comes to rule your life. Christian college student in our church family, let me say this to you this morning. If you courageously maintain moral purity, if you refrain from the abuse of alcohol, if you hold to your convictions in terms of sexuality, you will be thought strange. But you will be what Peter describes, an alien and stranger here. Why? This is not my home. The kingdom of God is a future issue. And it is so powerful and attractive and glowing as a city on a hill that it demands everything. That's 
where I'm going. And when you get that in view, what is it going to do? It's going to, it's going to give you the ability to shed things in your life. It's going to give you a degree of freedom that will bring so much joy and freedom. If you buy the pearl, you will be free. You will be free. You will be free from craving material things because you are craving Jesus. You will be free from staring at immoral things because you are staring at Jesus. Hebrews 12.3, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. That's the Christian life. Take up your cross and for the joy set before you, go all in for Him. Put it all on the table. Kill anemic Christian living that is infecting the church of Christ in America today. We need to learn how to put it to death. The woman who poured out the bottle of perfume on Jesus was thought a waster. Jesus did not share that assessment of her reckless sacrifice. He said, believe her alone. Okay, that's the Christian life. To give all gains the approval that matters most and that is not temporary and fickle. It is, in fact, eternal. Don't live for temporary things. Live for Jesus. The rule of God in your life will give you a degree of liberty that you have never known before. And it will cause, and this is just the final thought, it will cause your death someday to be without regret. That's what I want. I want to get to the end of my life and not have to worry about buyer's remorse, about how I spent the resources of my life. I'm not telling you I'm there, but I'm telling you that's where I want to be. I've watched people die in Christ. I know how I don't want to die in Christ. And I know how I want to die in Christ. I want to die holding the pearl. I want to die owning the field. That's what I want. The treasure is Christ. In Him are hidden all of the riches of God. And if you have Him, if you have bought the pearl, okay, you have the thing that is most precious and enduring and life-changing. And it will, in fact, alter your life. Those who buy the pearl, Jesus said, are laying up treasure in heaven. David reflected on it this way. He said, in your presence, Psalm 1611, is full joy. You know why you're buying stuff? You know why you're jumping into relationships? You're looking for full joy. That's what you want. In His presence is full joy. Here's what Paul said later. For me, to live is Christ. Full on, fully surrendered. Then what, Paul? Then to die is King. I have reflected in the last year and a half on Joyce Vader's death. I've thought about that funeral service with great challenge and joy. It has not lost its effect on me. It has not always been as strong as I want it to be. But here's what I can say. Lived as a selfless servant of Christ. Bought the pearl. Bought the pearl. No regret. No remorse. Home. Fullness of joy in His presence. Jim Elliot was thought a fool 
as a 20-some-year-old man, went to witness to the Akua Indians with two or three of his friends, I forget how many. They died on the beachhead. The words in his diary would say this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. He bought the pearl. He yard-sailed his life and was thought of in strange ways and often misunderstood. Alan Peggy Horton went into their retirement after being a state trooper with a wonderful pension and a beautiful life in Arizona. And they sold it. And bought the pearl. They're two of my favorite people to be with. You know why? They have an unbounded joy. They're, you know what they are? They're free. They're free. They've severed the ties. They cut the straps on the backpack of materialism. And they are free. And there's joy in their life. That is enviable. And then you two came today. Howard and Kelly Swisher. Who are using their retirement and spending their personal resources so that God's house may be fuller still. What are they doing? They're buying the pearl. I'm going to tell you something. You won't do that unless you come to a pointed decision when you realize that anemic Christianity leads to dissatisfaction. When I was 20 years old away from Christ, you know what I felt like? I felt like an unbeliever. I felt like someone who didn't have the joy of Christ. You know what? I didn't. Because I wouldn't sell all that I had. I was hanging on to it. I wanted the family business. I wanted those aims. I wanted those goals. I wanted what my brother has today. That's what I wanted. And I was unhappy. And it was all right there. Right there. It was not until I finally said to God, and I do not hold myself up as anything special. I just didn't even plan to say that. Just from my personal experience, I had to reach a point where I was like, okay, God, you, not me. I sell everything. I buy the pearl. I felt like I could saved again. When I was 21 years old, I felt like I was reborn again. Why? Because the battle with sin ended at a certain level. It continues, but it ended at a certain level. My willful rebellion against God ended. It was shattered by the rightful reign of Christ in my life. I stopped trying to serve two masters, and guess what reduced in my life? Anxiety and remorse and regret. It faded away. The joyful life is the life that is lived full on for Christ. How do I buy the pearl? I have to understand the aim of this parable. And these parables. Jesus aims to awake a sleeping church. That's why the parable contains shocks. Why didn't he tell the owner of the field? Not the point of the story. The point of the story is shocking. He sold everything to buy that field. And when he got it, he got everything. After what? Great, complete, personal sacrifice. And the man that found the pearl, yard sale. Buy the pearl. Great joy. How do you buy the pearl? First, you trust in the cross work of Jesus Christ alone. Carmelo, you read this text. I said to your wife, how does he know this? Philippians 3, Paul said, I once thought all these things, my self-righteousness was so very important, but now 
I consider them worthless. I consider them as yard saleable because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the precious gain of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. What is Paul doing here? He's talking about the parable of the pearl in the field. I count it all as rubbish so that I can have Christ. Do you see? Jesus is being interpreted by Paul to have meant to be saying this, I count my self-righteousness as utter rubbish so that I can have the righteousness that comes from outside of me and comes from God by grace through faith. That's how you buy the pearl. You surrender. You acknowledge your sinfulness. You trust in the glorious work of Christ on the cross. His righteousness comes. Your sin goes. You're forgiven. And you have the glorious hope of heaven. If you're a Christian, how do you get there? You treasure Christ above all things. And I think I can safely say this. And I'm going to push you on this for one moment. If you do not treasure Christ, if you do not love Christ in a way that is affecting your life, I believe you need to ask yourself, do I know Him? He never comes without effect. He never resides in a heart without changing the affections, without granting some degree of deliverance and, and, and yard sailing. He never comes without doing that. Okay, so, so if I say, well, I don't love Him, I've just, I'm, I'm just prayed the prayer. Okay, I would encourage you this morning, cry out again. Cry out again. By the pearl with a broken heart. A Christian is someone who by definition loves, treasures, and delights in Christ. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord and He will give you the desires of... He'll give you what you're looking for. All the different doors that you're opening. Door number one, door number two, door number three. Forget all those doors. Turn to Jesus. Buy the pearl. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. But His love abideth ever. Eternal years, the same. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In His cross my trust shall be, till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord I see. Oh, the height and depth of mercy. Oh, the length and breadth of love. Oh, the fullness of redemption. Pledge of endless life above. Have you bought the pearl? Do you know Jesus in a way that is affecting your life? Is there an affection for Christ rising within you and changing how you live today? I just here's my buy the pearl. It will change everything in your life. God, I thank you that your word is clear and powerful and life-changing.